Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Knocked Conscious. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. He's a 2024 presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. We had a great conversation. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Libertarian presidential candidate for 2024. Is that correct, sir? I believe so. Yes. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm the ex-NYU professor who took on the woke mob. I'm the former uh, Marxist who turned radical libertarian, and I am the uh, I've been a writer and podcaster for the Mises Institute for some time. I've spoken at many of their events. Uh, I was the Ludwig von Mises uh, Memorial Lecturer in 2018 or 19, I believe it was. And I've since spoken at many other things. Uh, I was uh, Hillsdale uh, College Distinguished Fellow up until, uh, well, till the end of the year, at which time um, they have to revoke it because of the uh, campaign, so they say. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've written 12 books and uh, talked to uh, many, many audiences uh, delivering the liberty message in connection with many topics, uh, like the Great Reset, like, like uh, Big Tech. That's one, of the, that's one of your books, correct? Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, yes. Yes, excellent. Like big so tech interesting here. you mentioned Hillsdale. Uh, I was watching a uh, podcast with Jordan Peterson and uh, Chris Williams, uh-huh. Williams in Modern Wisdom, and they had mentioned Hillsdale. Uh, as a as a pretty stand up school, uh, yeah. is that is that what you're finding? You're just they had to well, pull it because of the campaign portion. Yeah, I think it's because of the campaign. Hillsdale is a is a great institution. I wouldn't bash them at all. Um, they are, um, you know, the only one of the only colleges in the country that takes absolutely no federal funds at all. Uh, they they thrive strictly on donors and uh, by and student tuition. So they're as such, they're not beholden to the to the federal government, don't have to implement its dictates and so on and so forth. Yeah, so it's a good place. Uh, I, I'm a little upset that I lost the fellowship over this, but uh, well, we'll see what happens in the future. Well, I mean, after this journey, we there's always that coming back around, right? Hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully that'll come back around. So, OK, so obviously we just saw a new thing blow up about X with the, regarding the EU. We've got a million topics to discuss. Like yeah. I said, I want to be the co-pilot. I'm here sure. for you to tell, to share your message. I'll ask the questions that I hope help enlighten. And if I, I, I try not to be combative, but I do want to challenge or at least ask for clarification. So sure. I'm, I'll follow your ride. Let's start with topic one. I'm, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> okay. So the, the, so the X, the, the X, uh, suit or the, the the yeah we can start with that yeah there's been proceedings that have been uh, initiated by the ec the european commission uh, which is like the executive branch of the european union uh to uh event investigate and perhaps uh uh punish acts for what it's calling uh a uh, suspected breach of obligations to counter illegal content, disinformation, suspected breach of transparency, and suspected design, deceptive design of their user interface. So this is the first 
this is all falling under the the digital information uh, the digital service act of the eu and x is the first company to be uh, attacked by this body after this law was in, implemented so this could have significant impact on x uh, because uh, for one if they don't come into compliance with the eu the eu could actually banish all users from in Europe from using X, that's that's one thing, and they could also fine uh, X up to six percent of their global receipts. So we're talking a lot of money. And that's what that, I heard was a six percent piece as well. It's just a staggering number, and I believe they even included. I heard hate speech was included in that, but I may not. Yes, it is. It wasn't. Okay. Yeah, there, there's there's questions about anti-Semitism, hate speech, things like this, which they're calling on uh, X to. Well, they're calling for an investigation of X on these matters. In fact, they already investigated them, and so they om- opened up these formal infringement proceedings today. Uh, and uh, this guy, uh, uh, I think his name is uh, Breton or Breton. Yeah, he's the EC's commissioner on this, who is in charge of enforcing the Digital Service Act uh, on the social media platforms and search engines. So this will be significant because uh, not only could they lose their EU uh, users, they could also, most likely what they're going to do is actually uh, X will be forced to abide by the uh, EU's content moderation policies. So this will apply to all users of X, most likely, so that you cannot say things that the EU does not allow, which means that you are going to be censored by the European Union. And that this means- reminds me of those state laws where they have like a labor law. Say you have a company yeah. that works in five states, right? And basically, just to make it easy, they just do the standard operating procedure for the most stringent state. That way, it's that way their training covers all of them, right? So by doing that, they're going to apply this to like the EU to speech, so right. that we have to that we are going to have to abide by the lowest or the most stringent country that is desired to be on X. That's correct. It'll probably be Germany. Oh, that, that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, Germany will be. Sign me up. That. Sign me up, doctor. <laughs> so what that means is like uh, what they're going to do is uh, they're going to X will be more stringent and more censorious than it was under uh, under than Facebook than that than it was before <laughs> Musk bought it. This is unbelievable. Well, that this is a this definitely is a hot topic right on the forefront. I mean, it speaks to why we are here. The reason yeah. you're running is for free speech. I'm pretty sure that's a darn big tenet of it, right? Right. That's a huge tenet of it. It's free speech, uh, freedom of association, freedom of movement, uh, all of the things that have been infringed over the last, you know, several years to a great extent. We've seen uh, the social media censorship used uh, through the Twitter files and the Missouri versus Biden case. Uh, we know that they had a back. You know, that all these agencies had backdoor access to Twitter, and uh, probably Facebook and other social media platforms uh, to to uh, squelch so-called disinformation and conspiracy theories. 
and uh, to make sure that the official narrative goes unchallenged by any counter narratives or differing perspectives at all. So all of this is very significant. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the race to fight for that against all of this and for liberty. I don't believe the state should be dictating to a company what they can and cannot do with their own property. And here we have a foreign entity, a foreign state conglomerate that is dictating uh, the policies to an American company. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, and it's not even a foreign company. It's a right. foreign state dictating to an American company. Yeah. Uh, ugh. It's a it's a federation of states, in fact, dictating yes. to an American company what they can and cannot allow on their own properties platform. It's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, these are the kind of things uh, I've been writing about big tech. Uh, I have a book called Google Archipelago the digital gulag and the simulation of freedom in which I treat all of these issues. I was way ahead of the curve, I must say. Um, I knew that these were state apparatuses uh, back in 2018 and was saying so in that book. You're going to see a lot of uh, issues because like Germany, for example, uh, you can't even question certain things. We know what they are. Uh, for example, you can't say a word about the Holocaust other than what the official narrative is or you're in jail. So they're certainly not going to allow that. Uh, they're not going to allow a lot of things like basically anything questioning any official narratives like the COVID narrative we had, uh, like upcoming pandemics, like possibly climate change. You may not be allowed to refute or dispute or deny climate change. That could be climate change denial, and that could be something that's not permitted. So this is a very serious situation, and I'm I'll, I'm looking to see how Musk handles it, but it, it could be very painful for him. It's an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. Now, in, in this case, recently you've come under some heat. So you're an international author you're not just yeah. in the united states so right. obviously you'd be highly affected by some kind of ruling like this for your for you what you speak out against or for just for the the liberty that you use your speech yes uh recently you've come under fire for a couple comments do you mind sharing a little bit about what's the ramification what happened there and and I what's, what i don't know what comments you're referring to i've been was under it the one about <laughs> calling for a genocide or something or was it was uh, it the Palestinian genocide where you're being dropped by? Oh, okay. By yeah, no, I just basically, you know, because I was criticizing Israel's execution of the war in on Gaza, I was dropped by my publisher. Uh, uh, that's what I remote recall. Yeah, they said that I was uh, peddling anti-Semitic uh, ideas uh, for that, and. Uh, you know, it was just ridiculous. Uh, I had published five books with this publisher, basically kept this publisher afloat. They had no real other authors that were making money for them. And um, I was basically funding the whole publishing company. Uh, and because I made these criticisms, which, by the way, I never mentioned, like, I never talk about, quote, unquote, the Jews, per se. You know, this was I, I completely understand. I read I read the I read the posts for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's nothing anti-Semitic. It's, it's about a policy and a practice and a war execution by a state, 
by the state of Israel on these people, which I have really been very troubled by, uh, which I find to be extremely egregious and unbelievably horrible. Yeah, it's like literally the execution of their execution yeah. is in question. And and it, I, I'm i not going to lie, I literally just got off the phone with a very, very, very close family member of mine. And it breaks my heart because I grew up in a Jewish community uh, with a lot of people in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I actually worked in uh, catering in a catering company that did a lot of synagogues. And yeah. we I actually met. I walked by BB many times at a place called KI in Philadelphia. It's I think it's the one he went grew you know grew up with or whatever. So mm. it I you know it's really hard looking back because that line is so thin on we have to separate who we're talking about mm-hmm. and what we're saying exactly. And in order to get that right, we have to be able to express it because mm-hmm. Without the able to, the ability to express it, we won't get the nuance to understand exactly where everyone stands. Yeah, actually, that's correct, and we won't even be able to think properly if we can't express it. We won't even know what we think uh, because it really comes down to being able to express it in language. And likewise, people really come to their full thoughts and through the expression of them. So I think it's a very uh, uh, you know, troubling situation where uh, this kind of conflation takes place between the criticism of the state of Israel and uh, some sort of anti-Semitism. I, and the, and, and the, the House of Representatives passed a resolution, I think two weeks ago, that said that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That's a very, very chilling uh, resolution. And uh, Thomas Massey uh, opposed it, uh, and a few people on the left, I think, but mostly Thomas just, Massey comes up a lot in our conversations. Doesn't sure, he? sure, he do, I'm sure he does. He's great, and uh, he's very principled. Uh, I think these leftists ha- ha- basically land on the right spot by accident, almost. It isn't really a principled stand, uh, right? But but uh, it's political for them, whereas he's very principled in his views so i think that the um yes i mean he even spoke to not uh remove uh santos from my understanding correct right so i mean the thing is regardless of of belief system ideology whatever you want to call it if you're an honest actor if you come to me and you are the honest person that you are that seems like what a rep massey type person is yeah you can work with people who come with you know their honest face because then you can at least figure out the happy medium, right? You can't figure it out if the person's lying to you with what they right. what they want. If they exactly. if they come to you with a lie off the bat, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. It takes some uh, straightforwardness, some candor, and uh, you know, direct honesty to, to uh, reach any kind of consensus with anybody. Because otherwise, you don't know what the what positions they actually hold. But anyway, and I like the consistency at least as well. That, yeah. that helps. Right. The lack of hypocrisy. So it takes principles and it also takes principles to understand where he's coming from. Uh, you have to grasp the principles that he's working from in order to understand uh, why he makes the certain choices that he does. And they are complex. They're, I mean, everything's nuanced. You know, the, the, philo- the philosophy of it, it does sound simple, but it is some of the Mises, some of the Mises writings. And obviously when Ron Paul talks, it's like, 
simple, but it's so profound in depth. So yeah, absolutely. So for sure. Yeah. So well, let's talk a few wars since we're on it. Um, yeah. I had Scott Horton on in October uh, from Anti War and Libertarian Institute, and we talked Ukraine. We talked obviously Israel Palestine. Just started when that was going on, so we didn't even hear anything really yet. But um, Ukraine, it looks like it's winding down, and we're going to end up right where we could have started without a half a million people dying. Right. Exactly. You know, this the, the, these negotiations were possible at the you know way back two years ago at least, and uh, they were nixed by the UK and the US. And uh, unfortunately, this led to uh, feeding 500,000 people into the maw of death and displacing millions of others from Ukraine, destru- vast destruction of property, total uh, uprooting of people's lives, just a disaster. Uh, and it all could have been averted. Uh, and it was misrepresented from the outset in terms of who, who started this. Uh, there were serious provocations, red lines that were crossed, and they weren't going to stop at it. Um, I mean, there's there's the coup in 2014. Of course, the U.S. And that should have been the indicator of this, but actually that's what they used to bolster the defenses. They used that treaty to feed weapons into Ukraine while they were waiting. They were stalling. I mean, Merkel yeah. even said it. Right. Exactly. It's unbelievable. They're just telling us that they're just screwing us in every way. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how they're able to even do that anymore. They just completely say it now. They're just very creative liars. Um, yeah. And they're very good at, at rep, you know, basically totally inverting reality and the truth. That's yeah. what they do. They And they know the principles. The bigger the lie, the more likely it'll be believed. So let's go wind the clock. You're president at the same time. That treaty that I hear, the one that Putin held up and said that was signed, right? The Minsk. Was it in Turkey, I believe it was? You mean the Minsk uh, agreement? No, the one after. Oh, okay. Allegedly, Putin held up the one that was before they invaded in February of 2022. Right. I want to say, is that correct? 2021. Uh, So when they invaded so he held up the one where they had pretty much it just was waiting for the ink to dry right and it was i think it was done in turkey or whatever so you're you're president you hear about this what what do you do you you tell you tell us your solution to that problem because i think your solution i'd love to hear how you'd solve it and where where it would go from there well i would have allowed the negotiations to go on and to uh allow russia and the ukraine to solve the issue uh basically i think the offer on the table was simply that uh, Ukraine would uh, would agree not to join NATO. That that was the the sum total. It and, almost seemed as simple as that, didn't it? It, it yeah. literally was. That was the red line. Yeah. So so wait. So you're telling me that you might actually not interfere and let two separate states with yes. interests in their own things actually hash it out between the two of them? Yes, absolutely. Wow. And um, that wouldn't be my. You know, that is not the U.S. or the role of another state to right. be the complete orchestrator of all events across the planet. Uh, How did the Monroe Doctrine become the anti-Monroe Doctrine for our actions? Yeah, exactly. How did that happen? I mean, do, uh, do we have a time frame of when you would say that? Was it was it with Mexico or was it with? Uh, yeah, Mex- you could say Mexico was probably the start of it, but uh 
you know, in more recent times, I would say you're looking at, uh, uh, I guess, I guess the Korean War and the Vietnam War really big, uh, really big uh, uh, contributors to that, right? Yeah, they're 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 watermarks of this uh, this yeah. new interventionism, this idea that you you know we had to stop communism around from spreading around the world. Meanwhile, this was all fake too. It was all fake. Because the United States was actually feeding technology to the Soviet Union that was being used to develop weapons to be used against our own forces in Vietnam. And so, yeah. and, you know, the U.S. propped up the Soviet Union from the start, not, not necessarily the government, but different, different players within the United States, banking industry in, interests and manufacturers. Uh, and there was a lot of technology transfer to the Soviet Union to build them up and to uh, a lot which allowed them to create the arms that then were shipped to the Vietnam that were used against the uh, U.S. troops. So the whole Cold War, I think, was a fraud. Yeah. To build up both states. I mean, it was, it was almost a, like a, a semi-agreement between uh, both. It, it was a fraud. Um statism yeah it was a fraud of statism just to build up the, the power of these various states and, to, and 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 then what was the result that power became oppressive over their own domestic populations right well remember somebody had to get to the moon first michael right yeah i mean which look don't get me wrong that's a beautiful accomplishment and a beautiful achievement to go for i'm not i'm not against that it's just the reasoning we did it was more to beat the other right it wasn't really yeah. just for the accomplishment of humankind right right it was sputnik to do it first right? yeah they they beat us with sputnik and we yeah they did we beat them to the moon uh, i'm not gonna go there <laughs> all right so we covered speech a little bit we covered we covered non-intervention or at least your idea of how you would handle some international policies what what's another tenet or another piece that you'd like to discuss something you'd like to share that you need to get out to the people well i think that my campaign's more than a campaign it's a movement for decentralization and localization uh the the basic premise is the to wrest the power from the central government vested in the people at the local level nullify unconstitutional laws and mandates and uh to um uh, to 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 basically live liberty at the local level as an as and as individuals because they they have to drive their imperatives down into the fabric of society at the local level otherwise they don't achieve what they're looking to do and so that's really uh, decentralization is one of the main themes of my campaign if not the main theme and then. Of course, the other part of it is just educating people as to liberty and the libertarian principles, trying to create more libertarians. The party needs to grow more libertarians. It's not going to win elections at the national level or even the state level for the most part until there are more libertarians there, you know. Right. So, and that's. And it's almost like it, it becomes this weird cycle of you have to re receive some percentage of the vote to stay alive, to stay. Uh, you know, to stay valid, right? To stay 
awake inside either each of the states to stay valid on the ballots, right. correct? On the ballot, and then also so there's a lot that. of pressure there to keep the momentum going. Yeah, once you get, have it, it's not just getting it; it's keeping it as well. Right, and getting matching funds and so forth. So you need five percent for that, and I think that the um, you know for for the most part, in fact, all the way. All the other candidates from all the other parties and inclusive of most, if not all, the independents, with Jill Stein as an exception in the Green Party, is uh, is a neocon at base. No matter what kind of uh, equivocations they make, uh, to the contrary. Uh, I was uh, I was going to run for Congress in 24 in uh, Arizona. I'm in actually in Phoenix right now with Amfest going on. And uh, I was going to run in District 3 where Gallego just left. Mm -hmm. And I started doing it. I actually signed up as a libertarian, but it was kind of weak, to be honest. There wasn't much support. So I stepped back. I re Someone reached out for me from a no labels. You uh -huh. hear no labels party, right? You think no right. labels. Oh, my gosh. It's people who stepped away from the neocons. No, they are so ultra neocon. It is unbelievable. And they yeah. call themselves no labels. And it's like, there's your lot, you know, there's your there, fun. There, there's your deceit right there, right? There's right your marketing right there, right? You're, you're first of all, talking about yourself as if you have no labels would apply to you, but that's just because you're hiding behind a no label label. Right. <laughs> and it's funny because I was talking to them about how I just wanted to be the libertarian mindset. We need to, we need to start unraveling some of these things. We need to mm -hmm. decouple. We need to start being more local, more state, more local, all those types of things, community, community out, those types of ideas. And then that's when I got, oh, well, we're not really looking at candidates right now. And then they hang up and then I find out how non no label they truly are. Oh, right yeah, now, so right. Oh, I'd my. Because right. I'm, yeah. I'm excited thinking, oh, no labels wants to call with me, you know? Libertarianism, the party, libertarianism is uh... – it faces a lot of discrimination uh, because uh, both parties are statists and they don't want anything to buck that at all because that's right. their, you know, look, the state is a parasite that the lives corporate off uniparty. What's that? Corporate yeah. uniparty is what I kind of call it. Right. It's a corporate uniparty. They're parasites who live off of the, uh, of the productive elements of society and produce nothing. And they want it that way, and they want to continue growing the state. I think they're going to kill the host eventually because you can only have so much blood sucking going on before the host actually perishes. And that's pretty close to where we are. It seems like that's gone exponentially, obviously, with COVID, right? And all those types of things. Yeah, so. COVID added to, added to it. Um, of course, the warfare state added to it. Um, the endless printing of money during COVID really did, uh, really exacerbated the. I just saw that last seven, the last seven trillion that we did was in the time frame of the previous. Right. <laughs> you know, first fifty years was the seven first seven trillion, for example. Incredible. And we did it in months or something. It was some ridiculous thing. Absolutely. All right. So we've got three letter. We've got three letter uh, organizations. Let's just go through them all. Oh, okay. this is. I spoke with Natalie Danilishin about this yesterday. Uh -huh. Now, I'm in absolute agreement. End the Fed, right? It's, it's a very easy thing. And you know, uh, reduce the size of the FBI, reduce the size of the CIA, reduce the deep state, NSA, eight, eight, you know, Homeland, all of them. Okay, here we go. 
what do we do with the like 80% administrative jobs that are in those administ those uh, departments for mm-hmm. the UNI workers who are government workers who, what do we do? What do we do with them? You know, do, well, we, do well, we take off? How, how do we unravel that? Well, what has to happen is that uh, when you start cutting the state down, the free market will start to thrive. And so there'll be more jobs. So when you cut workers from the federal government, you, 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 you will actually create opportunities for them in the business world or in the wider marketplace, to put it more okay. precisely. And then I think what will happen is you, you probably need to uh, do something for their dependents in the immediate uh, ramp down. I think it's impossible to completely end things without ramping down uh, these programs and these uh, positions because otherwise you're putting people on the street. Uh, right. And in the case of like Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, that's uh, where I'm actually going to be right in this time frame, you know, in about 10, 15 years. So I'm very curious about that for sure. Well, what I would do is end Social Security immediately, but that uh, under the following conditions. Yeah, we're grandfathered in, you're locked in where you're at, or? No, you get all your money, all the money that oh, okay. you contributed, plus interest, okay. plus accounting for inflation. Oh, yeah. okay. And, and then everybody else has the complete option to opt out. Now, they can also opt in if they like, but, you, you know, you don't have to have your money taken from you by the state. You can keep it. And uh, so everybody opts out. Uh, anybody who wants to opt out does. And if you do, you get reimbursed for all the money that was taken. Otherwise, it's double theft. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so so on the ramp down with that, that, that's where it makes sense, right? We could either do a department per whatever period of time or we could do all at a slow 10 percent another 10 percent whatever the question that always is this in american politics we either run out of room time wise or money wise right mm-hmm. you're in it say you're in it for eight years mm-hmm. well say the program's ramping up for 20 you're out at eight they could write that out of the out of legislation right at, at eight years and then the whole thing gets re now once again obviously we're talking about this machine that is just so massive that we're fighting Oh, and that seems like the size of the machine that would do such a thing. So yeah. how how can like it almost seems like we have to do wrecking ball complete and deal with the shambles, which I don't want to hurt agree. Americans. That's the symbol of my campaign, wreck the regime. Right. So it's a wrecking ball to these in, to these agencies. Just knock them the hell out. Then see what you need. You know. Yeah. Get rid. Yeah. Of- I mean, I don't mind a transitional something for these people while we find something, but but yeah. I would rather have the institutions as they are, not be as they are. Exactly. For sure. I would. Okay. I would eliminate them, and then, uh, you know, even the FBI, I would eliminate it, and then we'd see what we actually need. Eliminate the CIA, and then see what, in fact, intelligence services we actually need. Right now, these are not serving the United States, or I should say the United States citizen. They're serving the state and they're oppressive. Uh, and they're still, and I think today they're serving a global agenda as well. Uh, they are with the NDAA and the 702 re-up, right? With the right. new, I mean, do you mind expounding a little bit about the 702 and the NDAA signet, uh, legislation? Obviously, Rep Massey was like the lone voice that tried to get around it and he voted no but they usurped them. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that legislation, what that is and what that's going to do for us or to us? 
Uh, you, you, when you say NDA, what are you referring to? Uh, the NDAA, then isn't it the National Defense Authority Act? They, oh, they yeah. the seven hundred two. Oh yes, okay, of course, yes. I'm sorry, I thought you said NDA. It's okay. I NDAA, I yeah. speak quickly and probably mumble more. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The NDA, yeah. Well, what this does is, uh, it actually is going to enhance their ability to surveil on us, and even uh, more than nine eleven, correct? Right. Even more than the Patriot Act. In the Patriot so, Act. So uh, th- this is uh, just astounding. And uh, so it gives them, you know, complete surveillance technology possibilities to intervene and to to uh, uh, surveil on us to an extent un- unforeseen before. And uh, and this was passed. I mean, it got passed through. So this is just and of course, that's a huge apparatus that needs to be that uh, that, that entails another huge layer of the state. Uh, and so this is this is just a, an outrage, total outrage yeah. that we are paying. Yeah, what we are paying? What happened to privacy? What we're happened to privacy? To be surveilled, we're paying the our government to oppress and surveil upon us. Well, we know that the state is oppressive altogether, but now we're paying to be effectively controlled, surveilled, spied on, watched, have our phone calls re- recorded. Uh, have all of our internet internet activities known, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, and then um, you know, with uh, and then they're going to meld this stuff with, I should say, things like digital identity and CBDC. So, there we go. Okay, so let let's let's go into that. So, digital identity would be your phone is your identity, It'd be biometrically with your fingerprint or eye scan, something like that. And then CBDC stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. Is that correct? Right. That's right. Okay. So and that would be basically your do- your physical dollar bills in ones and zeros on your phone. Effectively, and held by the Fed, in effect. Right, and held by another a third party. Well, held by the state. Yeah, by the Federal Reserve, uh, probably through commercial conduits, like commercial banks. Through JP, through J, Diamond, right? Yeah, but nevertheless, it's really a, ultimately held at the Fed, and that means they'll have complete they'll have complete transparency. Your all of your transactions, your holdings, everything will be completely transparent to the Fed, and that means to the federal government, effectively. And that means they could also control spending and they could control um, what you buy. Uh, they could control the possibility of you be, you could be shut out of certain transactions altogether or certain um, purveyors of goods could be completely off limits. Uh, and then certain people could be banned from the digital economy. So all right. this well, stuff- we, we saw with the truckers, right? So in Canada, right. there were protests and they actually shut off bank accounts. They shut off bank accounts of people who donated as little as $10 to and the now, cause. And now they'll know by virtue of what you do with your money because they'll have direct evidence of it. So let's say they pass uh, some more climate uh, executive orders and uh, some of them contain uh, the- Gas allotment. Gas allotments, personal carbon yeah. footprint tracking, yeah, carbon footprint stuff, and uh, therefore, you know, that's tied to your digital identity now, which is an ongoing record of everything about you. It's not just an ID. Uh, it's not so, just identification. <laughs> it is a database about you. So let yeah. uh, now. So how do we tie that? This is the thing about the cognitive dissonance I do not understand about ideology. 
we have a group of people who want to tie you to this thing. Yeah. But, and they want to do it for vaccines. They want to do it for everything oh, yeah, that they tell you to do for your behavior. Party. Yes, that's right. But they don't want it to tell you whether you can vote or not. <laughs> like, that's right. To whether you have the voice to say whether you want to be oppressed like this. Right. You don't have that you ability don't. somehow. I, right. I right. help me understand. I mean, obviously, we know it's ideological driven, which is why it's so completely counterintuitive, right? Well, I think the upshot of it is is that uh, this is a totalitarian digital, uh, a digital totalitarian um, system, system that that, that we're being uh, we're being in, it's being incrementally introduced uh, a little at a time. Like Biden said, he wanted a CBDC. He said this in a piece of in an executive order. I forget the number right now. Was it, the, was it one of the early day ones when he shut everything else off? That was a couple of years into his, okay. maybe a year and a half into his uh, t- uh, presidency. I'll try to dig uh, it up for sure. Yeah, I think it was maybe 16,099. I, I don't know. That's that's a number that's yeah. like somewhere I'll around take there. Take a look. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm that you're correct. We'll make sure. <laughs> I'm not sure of the number of the EO. But no, in, no. In the I won't EO, hold you to it. Yeah. In the EO, he says he wants to expedite the introduction of a central bank digital currency. And, uh, you know, the Fed has been working on it and they've done some studies. And uh, well, from what I heard is they were kind of beta testing it with giving that money to Ukraine citizens through some kind of app. Is that correct? It's probably right. Yeah. So my understanding was there was work. There was work. Look, I I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I make theories. They are conspiracies. But I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So just like all of us, we look at patterns and we make we make educated guesses on the patterns. Right. And a lot of times we're right and we are wrong a lot of times, too. So totally yeah. OK. But from what I heard, it sounded like the banks were working together with the Ukrainian government to get an app and use the money, you know, just digitally and go, hey, let's see how we can test this. C- categorize the dollars into food, clothing fuel, you know, energy, whatever those different, te- you know, group categories are, you get a certain allotment and when you're done, you're done. Exactly. And there could also be negative interest rates. In other words, instead of getting right, and that's going on in Europe, I don't yes. think Americans know that negative interest rates in banks is what's happening. You're literally putting your bank in the, or money in the bank to lose money. Yeah. They're taking it from you. If you don't spend it at the right rate, they take your money. You don't gain interest. You lose interest. So <laughs> They're, they're, you know, basically they're forcing you to pump the economy back up somehow. It's yeah, like, they're stealing from you um, and uh, for for depositing money in their accounts, uh, in their banks. Yeah. So it's just unbelievable. So, yeah, all of that's coming down. Digital identity, digital uh, CBDC, uh, carbon footprint tracking. Uh, you know, all this is just around the corner, especially given the recent uh, climate uh, COP28 meeting. Oh, right. Where the where the head of uh, the UAE was uh, put in charge? Or the, no, that was the head of the UAE oil company. Oil company, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean, the head of the UAE oil company. It's, it's uh, so hilarious. It's like watching... Uh, I, like a, I couldn't a, write this. I could not write it, this. It's unbelievable, the script. Yeah, the head of the... It's not, uh, it's, oh, it's not my plane. 
it's my wife's plane. You know, I know we're married. We've been smashing forever. You know, I know John Hines is no longer with us, but you know, whatever. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, he, you know, but they did negotiate a basic, uh, phase out of fossil fuels by 2050, which means they're saying that by 2050, there'll be no more burning of fossil fuels, so-called fossil fuels. Now, I don't know. I, I, I call them fossil fuels because that's what they're called. I don't think they're actually fossil fuels, but I'll leave right. it. I, we get it. Petroleum <laughs> products. How about that? Yeah, let's put it that way. Petroleum products. Ground petroleum they, products. I think they come from the igneous heat of the earth, and uh, this you know, basically produces this malt, melt, melted substance that we use. But... Uh, yeah, there are there are uh, certain thoughts about the iron core, right? The core spinning, right. creating the magma, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I'm, that's right. And I'm not here to talk about that part because that's yeah. It, that doesn't even matter, does it? Does it, it even matter? matter really. I mean, it's so like not it, even it, a the point. The only thing it matters from is the idea of peak oil, which is long gone. That's right, old, right. Old that's idea. true. But yeah, that that idea is history anyway. We know there's okay, plenty so, of oil. So let's talk energy. So yeah. we, what is the future of energy in your? <laughs> in your estimation? Well, the future is, uh, I think technology will develop as of its own accord, but right now they're trying to force this development of renewables and stuff and EVs and all this down our throats. They're not, this is not mature technology and it's not, it's not be, organic. It's not organic at all. And that's a problem. Yeah. Especially with the free market capitalists that you're talking about it, or it has to be an organic driven movement from the pe from the desires of the people and the consumers. Exactly. People aren't asking for this. This isn't being produced because people want it. This is being force fed. And uh, I think the future of energy is uh, in jeopardy because of these um, climate catastrophes and their uh, globalist ambitions, frankly. I think that they use this catastrophe, this so-called crisis, in order to usher in uh, well, they call it a global crisis. So, what is the only thing that could call that can uh, that can uh, solve a global crisis? Well, it has to be global governance. So, right. that's what that's what this is all about. It's all about the governance and the impositions and the uh, control systems that are putting in place uh, supposedly to mitigate this. But I think the ends are the means. That that's always the case. The, the, I'm sorry, the means are the ends. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Or, so the same thing. Yeah. The ends of the means yeah, and I mean, means of the ends. So if I may, uh, is nuclear an option for you? On yes, the, is absolutely. it an open option? It, okay. Nuclear power is definitely something that's been poo pooed by these environmentalists for no good reason. It's, it's the only, only one of two other sources that have no. You know, it's the only one that'll get to fusion. <laughs> yeah. Fusion will get to fusion, right? Yeah. It's the only one that'll get us there. Yeah. Right. Anyway, Absolutely. sorry. Go, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's two po power sources that don't uh, produce, you know, carbon emissions, and yet the uh, the the carb the cl climate lunatics don't want either of them. And that is hydro. Think about all the lead that's in the solar panels and all the others. And oh and man, winter. That's that's and, yeah. the environment. And on top, let's. <laughs> and yeah. let's share this with the world. I don't think everyone knows, but uh, uh, my understanding is I, I talk with my mom and she, we live in the East Coast. She lives in Philadelphia and uh, allegedly off the shore, off the Jersey Shore, they had to shut down a wind farm because it's not uh, economically viable. Yes. 
Is that, that is that my is that correct? They actually yeah, are that, shutting that, that, it down because it's not economically viable. With all the money that the government's pumping into it, it's not economically viable. Unbelievable. So they've tried. They've had subsidies and uh, grants for development, and uh, you know, years of development, uh, and it's still nowhere near, not even close to near, to being able to sustain civilization. Uh, these renewables, they will not sustain civilization. There will be a rapid de- decivilizational process and a complete decline of the industrial base of the Western and possibly the whole world uh, as a result of these insane uh, climate uh, imperatives. So Absolutely. it's it's just unbelievable. So I've been fighting this, too. I've been writing about this quite a bit. I wrote yeah. two articles for the Mises Institute on the three. Three, four now, four about this. Okay, yeah. excellent. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I'll I'll link everything to the to the episode as well. So, um, so so we've got that. There's obviously ecological issues with uh with what's going on with the. It seems like mammalian water creatures like whales are not faring too well with what they're experiencing from the whatever the is going on with the. I guess well, anchoring of the wind turbines or the whatever. Turbines, offshore. the wind turbines. Uh, the sound in, of drilling or whatever the hammering. Yes, and, they're they're killing. Uh, you know, one of, you know, very large, complex mammals, whales, with this. Right. So it's and and here, meanwhile, we switch to plastic or to paper straws. So we're okay now. <laughs> yeah. You know, once again, it's like, where? What are we doing? Yeah. Like I, I just want to show. I, it, I don't, I don't like telling people that the. It's not me lecturing people. I just want to show people where the insanity is, but I can't tell them that it's insane. I can only show them where it is, and then you and have to they, connect it. They have, like, to, they have to see it. Yeah, I, likewise, I similarly, like with these wars. I mean, they never talk about the so-called climate impacts of these wars. And if, right. it's, really, if it's really true that carbon dioxide is a pollutant and a greenhouse gas, which I deny, okay, then uh, then they would be concerned about the kinds of carbon emissions that come from these wars. Right. I'm going yeah. to share. <laughs> I'm going to share one conspiracy theory, doctor. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Go ahead. We saw Greta Thunberg on the field in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I sit there. I'm like, what is environmental about war? And then I just saw an article two days ago, something about the war in Congo over the last six years. The It's been cooler because of it. They're promoting the war. They want less carbon. We've talked about it. We are the carbon that they don't right. want. So right. let's be honest. 500,000 male Ukrainians equals zero birth rate. That nation wow. is gone. Done. See, that is that's 30 million people in a nation that have dispersed and now. OK, gone. so they're seeing war as an as a, they're seeing as, war as a carbon a zero policy. That, I can't. I mean, that's what I just put together this week because I just yeah. saw another article in Europe. Something about exhaling is creating a carbon emission. Yes. Now, breathing is going to be. So forbidden. they're telling us it's like they're conditioning us to believe that people are the problem. As long as no, we're the no. people telling us that we're the problem, the others can be the ones that can die for it. Like that's oh, almost like how. No, that's absolutely why do I sound like the crazy person then? Like, I I mean, they've been after us for look, I've been looking at the UN's uh, population control ethics and uh, uh, their their um, 
their panels and yeah, their, their, their white papers and everything everything uh and they've been looking at they've been talking about re- basically they see the mass of humanity as a scourge on the planet yeah. and uh we We're are consumers that's all we are consumers who consume too much reproduce too much and uh and then threaten their their biosphere whatever they want you know however they want to look at it i think they think they would like to be in a kind of Eden, and the masses of people are encroaching on that Eden, and they must go away. And they think they can get rid of a lot of people, I think. Yeah, and I was just trying to understand why, where are the eco-warriors, where are the climate warriors talking about war? And then I see war has made the climate colder in the Congo or something. And then I see exhaling is creating all the – it's like now it's dings. It's like the epiphany. But wow. everybody's so busy working their jobs and raising their kids and trying to and being told something completely different. Right. Not alone, not let alone trying to figure out what's right. You have to undo what they've been told is wrong first. And yeah. it's like we feel like we're these lecturers and we're not. And it makes us it feels frustrating because I'm not I don't want I don't care if it's me sharing the message as long as the message is shared. Right. Right. I just want to be a conduit, a medium right. for that. I it has nothing to do with me. The ideas have to be out there because the more ideas we have, the better solutions we we end up. Yeah, with. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good connection you draw there. They're looking at war as a net zero policy program. Which, I, there you go. Please run with it. I'm 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 not I don't think I own that, but I it just I'm gonna look up the article that you were talking about. Yeah, that the that war has made it colder in the Congo. I'll I'll look for that. Yeah, I'll look for that. Has it's made climate cooler? It's a, the weirdest thing. I saw it this week. I'll I'll look for my reply on it. So okay. All right. So we've had an hour. You have been so pre- so gracious with your time. I am extremely grateful. I'm here as long as you want to share anything. But I know your schedule's super busy. Yeah, so I'm gonna go play tennis right now. I gotta keep up. Oh, my excellent. Physical, uh, yeah, I gotta keep up my physical. Excellent. Uh, you know. Uh, what is it? My physical prowess. prowess. That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm a little bit tired. I've been writing all day and a little bit burned Absolutely. up. But yeah. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you again. Once again, I'm Dr. Sure. Rechtenwald, Libertarian President for 2024. Uh, I do offer free time or offer equal time to others, to other uh, sure. candidates regardless. But but I am so grateful for your time and, and thankful uh, do you have a closing message? Anything else you'd like to share before yeah, we call it? Yeah, uh, just go to my website, please, and get aboard the the Wreck the Regime movement. Wreck That's R E C the Regime dot com, and uh, get involved in this movement to undo this regime, to totally wreck it, to get this dismantle this beast. That's what we're up to. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm Thank so you. grateful. Have a great day, sir. Take care. You too. One, two, three, four. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say. Good night, sweetheart. Good